Welcome to Parole, your favorite podcast. How's your year going already? How many New Year resolutions have you tackled so far? Yes, we are in March already. How about your finances? How are they doing? Do you have a vision and a plan to be more financially stable? That is what we'll be talking about on today's episode with Dalila Kidanu, the founder and CEO of COA, a Nairobi fintech-based company that is, for now, teaching Kenyans to save money and help their customers in building a healthier credit score. Last year, the company raised $2.7 million, according to Crunchbase, from four different investors and Catalyst Fund being the leading partner. I believe the difficult part of COAS is not raising funds, it's just in changing the habits of millions of Kenyans and in the future, hundreds of millions, if not billions of Africans, who are mostly still struggling to save and invest. The company disrupted the fintech space by breaking some barriers to entry. In a continent that is known for financially supporting parents, siblings, cousins, aunties and uncles, the brother of a cousin of a neighbor, how staying on course might be a challenge both to Delilah and her team, but also to the customer. Even for me, I know I have changed the way I spent my funds since I started my businesses. As an employee, I had a monthly guarantee of a quiet life. Once I decided to jump and trust my projects, I had already anticipated the lifestyle change. So I highly encourage you to do the same. You do not have to be a wealthy individual like Warren Buffett. And just like King Solomon before him, you should trust in the power of compound interest. Nairobi, I hope to see you soon because the last time I was there, I saw what non-stop partying was. Now I'm older. I am a lady. I want to focus on the meat, on the food. Yeah, my trauma. Our podcast is on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, Afropods, Adap if you're in Nigeria. One million downloads per episode. So here's me asking for your help. Share, share, share. Our podcast via Roy Studios is also on Patreon. Thank you for your support. Until next time. Parole podcast. Today we're in Nairobi and we're going to speak a little bit Kiswahili. My broken Swahili is really broke, so I'll deal with, uh, I'll start with Sawa Sawa, madame. How are you doing? <laughs> Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So we brought you on because you have an interesting thing you're doing in, uh, in the East African region. Uh, before we get into that, can you just introduce yourself? Tell me who you are and, you know. Sure. Um, my name is Delilah Kidanu. I'm one of the co-founders of COA, a fintech based out of Nairobi, Kenya. We've been in the market for the last uh, two years. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, what is Nairobi for you? Nairobi is home. Nairobi mm-hmm. is ever-changing and very exciting at the moment. <laughs> With lots of uh, fintech going on. Um, how's your Kiswahili then? I have to ask. Very poor. <laughs> my, my English is much better, so your Swahili might be better than mine. No, no, no. You don't want to get into that. But let me let me take you to uh, to you before before you started the companies before you went into entrepreneurship. I will not go into the cliche of women in tech, women in business, uh, but kind of. Uh, unfortunately, we have to go through that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, your maybe your academic background. For sure. Um, I went to high school here in Kenya, 
And after my studies, I went to the UK to study my bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So I studied international relations and business. Um, and from there, I went on to do a master's in Stockholm at the Royal Institute of Technology. And there I was, um, there I did a program in innovation management and entrepreneurship. So I didn't really know what it was at the time, <laughs> but I think something inside me do. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be in the innovation space and tech That's space. Nice. So it kind of, it kind of all worked out yeah. in, in the end. That's really interesting. So you love the cold because why Stockholm, honestly? Well, I my so I have some family there. Okay. Um, and also Sweden has some of the best kind of technical schools. And for someone who it was not technical at all, so I studied <laughs> like international relations and business. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to find a way that I wouldn't have to do a full program again and learn how to be technical, but at least I could be close in proximity mm. to the people kind of building these technical, you know, these technical engineering pieces or these software pieces. Mm. And um, KTH or the the university really, th this program was very fresh, very new. I haven't mm. really seen it anywhere else even since. Okay. Um, and really just gave me a lot of insight to be able to work with you know, other students and other faculties that were very much deep tech or deep engineering. Mm -hmm. um, but like just having an overview of what they're doing, how they're doing it. And then for us, we were focused on how do, how do you bring innovations to the market? How do you think them up? How how do they become something for the market? Mm -hmm. How And, you know, going through that process was, yeah, very, very good for me. And before you, I mean, I can only imagine before you, you went there, did you know how to code? Did you know how to talk, you know, the tech geeky language? Not at all. Wow. Not at all. Actually, I only, I took a one year full stack engineering course, um, like in the year leading up to starting uh, COA, Ooh. mainly because, you know, we started to think around, you know, an app, how is, you know, how does an app work? How does it run? And, you know, you just realize that, wow, I really don't know anything. Yeah. Um, and so I decided to to re-educate myself. So before starting COA in like 2019, 2020, um, I took a course on full stack engineering to understand the product development process, to understand, you know, what it takes to actually build a mobile app or, you know, any type of program. And yeah, it was the toughest course I've ever taken, <laughs> I but I have such imagine. an appreciation, you know, like it, it's, it's, yeah, I have such an appreciation for, you know, our CTO and, and the tech team that we have, but also just a full comprehension of what it actually takes to bring things to the market. And I think that's been very invaluable uh, when building mm. call. There you go. So I'll have to ask you then, entrepreneurship is kind of different, obviously, from space to space, from country to country, from region to region. Uh, I do know one thing about Kenya is that you guys really have lots of fintechs. There's a lot of interest. Uh, there's Mpesa. People like to gamble over there. So I think you, you have a relationship to money that's quite uh, specific or special. Um, what made you decide to take that leap of faith and say, hey, I'm going to jump. I'm going to do this. I think a really big misconception about Kenya is that um, through M-Pesa, everyone has been financially empowered. I think what M-Pesa has done is really given the full population access to the ability to make payments, the ability to have some type of wallet. But 
I think financial inclusion mm. and financial deepening goes beyond that because individuals should be able to save. They should be able to invest. They should be able to um, plan their finances going forward. Um, and all of these services are still very hard to, to get for you know, the average individual. So when we looked at the market, we saw that, yes, M-Pesa is a huge dominant part, um, party in the, in the market, but there is so much space for disruption. And I think when we started in 2020, we didn't have that many fintechs on the ground. We had a lot of payment, um, payment solutions and lenders. Okay. Um, but we didn't have, um, yeah, but we didn't have access to savings. We didn't have access to assets, assets for investment. Credit scoring is still an issue in the market. So there's a lot of different gaps that that exist. And so we saw that there that people have products, but the retail customers are not being able to access those. So there's like mm-hmm. a big mismatch, right? You have a market that's quite um, quite forward thinking if you compare to the rest of the the region when it comes to the capital markets. Um, but you have a whole population that is not able to access that because Mm -hmm. maybe they don't earn enough. They're not able to put a significant amount into the products. So we came into the market saying, look, we want to bridge that gap. We want to make uh, investment products more accessible to the average Kenyan. And so that's what we did. We took away the minimums for investing Mm -hmm. from 5,000, even higher, sometimes 10,000 to 100 shillings, which is the equivalent of $1. So that was really our mandate and, and what we wanted wow. to, to do. So I can only imagine because of the, the region and maybe the, the, the history or the, the, the way we, we use money, I can imagine that sometimes it's really difficult for some people, not all of them, obviously, to talk about savings. You know, because you say, hey, I, I'm getting paid on the first, my money is out by the 10th or by the 12th. What are you telling me about savings? I understand that you guys really broke the, the, the entry but still, how do you cope with maybe, for me, what I can call financial literacy that should be taught in every school at this moment, like from, you know, year one, six year old, you know? How did you, because two years, maybe two, three years, it's more than enough to start changing the minds or to change the cultural understanding? Because I link that with the fact that Kenyans really like to bet. So it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, like- it's interesting you say that as well, because we, we've also seen that and we released a savings product that kind of gives you that same dopamine hit as um, as betting does, but it's just a bit more secure. So so we launched a product called Save to Win. So mm-hmm. for every increment of like $5 that you save, you get a raffle ticket and the raffle ticket enters you into a weekly draw where you could win up to like $200,000. Oh, wow. Um, so kind of similar. So so very, very interesting that you also were able to catch on to the fact that, you know, betting is quite big here. And we tried to flip that on its head and say like how to support people with savings. But um, back to kind of your, your initial question around the financial literacy, that's actually been one of the bigger parts for us. Mm-hmm. And even when in the early days when we first started, a big pillar for us in how we were rolling out the product is through financial literacy. Um, there's a big gap in people's understanding of different terms, different um, yeah, different options that they have with their funds. Um, anything from you know how is what is a com- what is compound interest? What is a what is a you know a fixed account or many things that that hmm. we're, we're not taught. We're really not taught. And so that was really a big pillar for us. But I think on the saving side, what's very interesting is that 
savings as a culture is it's proliferated around the whole country. I mean, the whole region, because okay. even in Ethiopia, we have, you know, circles um, where people are saving in their communities or they're saving as a household or they're yeah. saving with um, their business partners or something. Right. Um, but taking that kind of offline manual trust based process and digitizing it and offering it as a service, mm-hmm. there's also a learning that takes place there. So people know that they want to save because they have been saving um, but now what is the added value of saving with a digital product? It's like more access to, to different investment products, doing more with the money that you sit on, because usually they'll collect this money and maybe it'll sit in somebody's mattress or in a bag somewhere. And yeah. when somebody wants it, you know, they take a loan from the group. So I think also understanding those nuances is, is very important. And how about the credit score? Because to be honest with you, I think, only once did I see something about the credit score in Burundi and it was at the bank and I was so amazed. I was like, do you know how to do that? Like, do we do this by faith or just do we have numbers we can use? And my understanding is that they had numbers. And how do you do the credit score in, in Kenya, in, in Africa in general? Because there's a lot, a lack of data big time. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why you see like a lot of the players, mainly people who are in lending, so you have like branch, Tala, um, larger lenders who mm-hmm. use their own methodology, right? Like some people yeah. will use your um, your M-Pesa history. Some people will use your, um, you know, airtime and and some data around that as well. I think it's it's very difficult because data, like you said, is not um, is not shared interoperably between the banks mm. between. Um, <laughs> these individual players between the government, you know, so you have like a lot of fragmented pieces of data. So I think we haven't yet cracked um, like an, uh, a way to credit score people here in Kenya. Uh, that's kind of universal. I know that it's being worked on, um, but I'm not sure what they will use as, as the basis for that, because I know, I mean, there are people who will go to one lender with um, their M-Pesa wallet. That's, you know, that's curated, you know, and then they have another M-Pesa wallet that's that not very curated, that, but, but no one can check that, right? Like you have only what I give you. So there's a few yeah. hiccups there. I think there's a lot, there's still a lot to be done by the central bank, by the ministry of finance yeah. to, to really get us to the point. I was going to ask you, is like, is there something that's being done maybe, or just wishful thinking for, for the next five years? And we know what wishful thinking does. Yeah, no, I know it's on their mandate. Like I've heard, um, we've been hearing them speak about it, but I think now it's about like, how does it actually happen? How, how are they going to bring it to life? That's, that's really the question. Okay. And then I'll take you to the, to your role, maybe as a CEO. What is CEO? (laughs) Because founder, we know, founder, we know it's like, of course you started the thing, but you know. Yeah, I think the role of COO is very, it's ever-changing, right? Mm-hmm. It's wherever your company is at a given moment, where where the needs lie. So when you're first starting out, it might be, you know, operationalizing things from licenses to setting up the team, setting up, you know, HR or office space. But I think for the most part, you can think of operations as more of like, an engine, an engine that supports like the company to to run. Um, mm-hmm. So, for me, 
these days it's mainly about product, product and partners. So okay. um, that's a, that's a change from last year where it was more about the processes. It's more about um, okay. the efficiency of how well we do things and compliance as well. So I think in operations you always have like seasons, and you can mm-hmm. think a bit of what what's what are the what are the go between functions that allow the company to to operate. All right, so I'll have to to take you to the genesis then of the company. Your co-founder, how many people did you start with, and you know what made you, what made you really say, hey, maybe this one is really nice? Because honestly, you could have said, let me jump on the bedwagon. I'm gonna work with this company. It's gonna be nice. I'm an employee, and it's gonna be fresh, and I'm gonna have a really nice life. But you decided to go for yes. entrepreneur in Kenya. Yeah, um, I was working in Ghana before, oh, okay. so between Ghana and Kenya. So my job was, I got the opportunity to meet a lot of early stage technology startups nice. and invest in some of them. So that that was kind of what I was doing before. And I think what made me think that now was the time for me to start a company is that I have no, I have no children. I'm yeah. not married, you know, like... I'm still quite young, maybe now not so much, but <laughs> still, um, still, like <laughs> I don't, I don't have there. There wasn't like a huge backside mm. for me, right? Like I just kept telling myself, worst case scenario, <laughs> I'm going back to my mom's house and I'm sleeping on her couch. You know, she'll feed me. <laughs> like worst case scenario, I, I still have that option, and I'm very lucky to yeah. have that option because I know that you know some people don't have that. Yeah. Um, so I just, I've always loved the idea of savings. I'm like, I'm a, uh, ex- I'm a professional saver, <laughs> if I can say that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've seen, I've seen how, you know, not having enough finances or not having access to finance mm-hmm. can really inhibit a community from growing you know it's it's not necessarily sometimes it's not about being the smartest or the hardest working sometimes it's also just the accessibility so something that I was very passionate about and um, my co-founder and I met in Ghana when we were both working for the same company there you go Um, so we were two and yeah we kind of just toyed around with the idea I was ready to leave my job I felt like I had my learning curve was flattening yeah. out and so I was ready to to make a, a leap and so I just thought yeah let's jump in and see and here we are two years later there you go. still going and it's an amazing yeah. thing because most of the time we like to say and that's what I wanted to ask um before is to say women in tech it's really exciting everybody gets exciting but oh boy it's so tough to raise money from the people I spoke yeah. to and I would like to have your take on that. Obviously, maybe you knew about people, your environment, but it doesn't mean that you, you have to check afterwards. It's not because I know you you work at Goldman that you'll, I'll have your check afterwards. How did you work that yeah. network, that those relationships that you had before? Yeah. So we both, my co-founder and I, had the opportunity of working for like a venture, like a fund before. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we did have a number of contacts that kind of knew us. And so the door was already a bit yeah. open, if that makes Absolutely. sense. I took a step back uh, from the fundraising piece and my co-founder led that. Um, okay. But I know from the market that that there is or there are biases 
um, against women in tech and not just tech, but women who are trying to break into kind of um, the space where they'll need to raise any venture capital. And I think mm. last year was a great year where we're seeing more women go into VC and go and, you know, creating funds that are curated just for women. And yeah. I think that's a really good turn because I think it's like 1% of funding that goes to women on this continent. Mm. And you just realize that there are so many studies that just show you, you know, that female founders have, okay, maybe it could be generalist, but there are studies and I, I could send them mm -hmm. <laughs> that show that, you know, women, <laughs> women businesses tend to turn a profit faster. And some people argue yeah. that it won because they can't access any funding, so they have to make it sustainable. Um, but I just think it's, it is tough. It is tough, but now there are like, there are spaces where you can kind of go as a woman, get support and also have access to equitable, equitable um, financing. Um, but I think when thinking about starting a business, especially one that, that needs capital and you'll have to go out there and search for it, you have to build up resilience because <laughs> people will say no over and over. I mean... They'll ignore your messages. <laughs> they'll pretend like they don't know you. <laughs> like, you just have to roll, roll with it. <laughs> Until it's a raising series, they're like, "Oh, I don't like oh, that. now I know like, you." Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like what? No, but it's interesting because most of, most of the time we tend to think that things happen quickly, and you know, in your case, it's two, three years, but it it means that obviously there are bombs along the way because you know, you're not selling a dream. It looks like there's things, you know. How, what would you tell someone who is maybe looking to to start something this year? You know, I would say a woman, I would say a man, but someone really who is maybe so scared to say like, really me? Yeah. What? Oh man, I think that's one of the harder things to overcome as an entrepreneur. It's like you have to go out there and convince everybody that you are the right person to build this. But the person it's hardest to convince is yourself. At least if you are. I mean, there are some people who have unwavering confidence and I, I want to be that person. <laughs> I want to be that person. But like the market, the market always humbles you, right? Like you could think that you have the best product, you have the best team, you have the best this. And then you enter the market and people are just like scam, scam. <laughs> so, you know, you just really have to like, I think the best thing is to just start. Someone once told me that like, if you're thinking of an idea and you want to start the idea and mm -hmm. you're saying like, okay, I'm just going to keep thinking about it and, you know, and then one day I'll jump. And he's saying to me that like, unless you're in the market, you're not playing, you're not racing this race, right? <laughs> like you're, it's an imaginary race. And he's like, imagine that you're just daydreaming about running. Like that's what you're doing. But you're not actually running. So like, I think this year, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of new accelerator programs that I see coming up, a lot of mm -hmm. hubs that are, you know, offering support. And I think it, this year is just about putting yourself out there, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and kind of just force yourself to swim. Um, I think mm. you, you, people can really make anything happen when they are like wholly dedicated. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people that have, you know, really secure jobs and, you know, have like that paycheck coming in every month. It's, yeah, it is very important. And it's not, you should not forego that unless you're ready to. 
But I think there's also other ways, right? Like you have an accumulation of leave days. Why don't you take a month off and try and figure it out? Or, you know, take a sabbatical or take a prolonged leave. Like I know a few people, my friends who are now taking um, a sabbatical to to explore something, you know, and, and you're not... Um, yeah, you're not limited from doing that. So I think seize the opportunities and, and try to, to make something happen. I will take you back again in Stockholm and talk about entrepreneurship back then. What did you learn there? Because as you just said, if you're not swimming, you're daydreaming. So there's really this beauty of, you know, let's, we're learning this entrepreneurship, you know, in Stockholm. And then you go on an African market where there's not a lot of infra- infrastructure. And you have to deal with the basic of basics and problems. Looking back, do you feel like you were naive or it was like cute or just you're kind of using all this knowledge, you know, along the way? Because I myself, perhaps it's uh, it's something that I like to say is like I went to a finance school and I remember just learning the you know, like economy one on one. And I remember just going back home for an internship and I'm like, uh this is not this, you know, like this is not what I'm learning. And not how it works. Like, like, this is not what I'm learning. So, how did you cope with those maybe two worlds? Mm. Yeah, I think what was great about Sweden, especially if you look at like just fintech or like finance space, is that it's almost like you're living in the future of what we're trying to build, right? Like, um, you see how open banking works because open banking works 100% in Sweden. Um, you see how how payments are seamless and happen instantly. You see how people are um, creating, you know, even savings, like savings portals, investment portals, and all of that was accessible, like, when was this, 20, like, eight years ago, right? And now we're just getting to that place in Kenya where we're getting to the place where yeah, okay, we can do everything on mobile money, but banks are also stepping up, right? Like we're digitizing the banks. We are um, looking at how to make payments easier. Now we have payment companies that have been here for the last two, three years, but how to have like a view of how it works elsewhere. And I always say this about, I think you, you mentioned earlier that you were in Ethiopia last week um, for, for the, the podcast. Um, Ethiopia is like 15 years behind Kenya. And when I go there, it's so clear to see like, oh man, this is coming up next. Oh, wow. This is coming, this is coming. And like, that's such a unique perspective to have. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's very helpful. But I think for me, like, yeah, starting a company in, in Sweden um, would have been an option, but that's not, that, that's not where I want to build, you know? Like that's, um, those are not the opportunities I want to create right now. And how about innovation? How do you define innovation the way you see it on the ground right now? I think I think when people speak about innovation, they speak mainly about technology. But I think innovation as a whole is like an iteration to the way things have been done. And whether that's, you know, from um whether that's from like an agriculture perspective, whether it's from a technology perspective, um, whether it's like a an office, like innovate how the office works. Mm. Um, I think it's really just iterating on the old and creating something that's that's fresh and new. And I think that here in in Kenya, they there's no lack of innovation. You know, from 
like from the way that people are setting up new restaurants or setting up new experiences mm. to the way that they're thinking through um, like different types of payment solutions or their capital markets, the structure around there, even thinking around crypto and how that's coming into the market. There's there's a lot of innovation happening, but I think where innovation is being hindered <laughs> is... <laughs> is on the regula regulation side because the regulators are not the innovators and the innovators are not the regulators. Um, so, so they're speaking two different languages at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So we should tell them. I should I should hire someone. I should call someone. Uh, yeah. Okay. I hope they can be on the podcast, by the way. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> that would be really nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about, I mean, we were talking about Kenya, but obviously, I think you guys are looking forward to, to like to maybe expand in the region because savings for me it's a really a language that I understand. Maybe because I worked in finance, but more than that, I understand the the, the need for financial literacy. Jesus, I need to speak <laughs> this in every ear that I can. It's like we need to teach all these things uh, from the young age. Do you see yourself maybe in five years going into a space as you said, like Ethiopia? They're opening up. Good Lord, thank you. It was about time. And you have a market that's quite different. You know, it's 100 million people, 100, 120, depending. And I want to circle back a little bit on the inclusion because we hear about inclusion and diversity all the time. It feels like it's on one region. But I, I, I'm wondering if you guys are doing something for maybe for the youth. By that, I mean teenagers, to women, to women who are, to the disabled. You know, how do you include them into your into a product basically yeah i think for us that inclusion side is really from the financial literacy piece so in the past we've been running a lot of financial literacy we've gone into different areas we've gone into kibera we've gone to major universities we've gone outside of nairobi all to teach mm. financial literacy mainly on the savings budgeting investing and even some um even some support for the SME side as well for people who are running small businesses. Okay. So yeah, I think people can be empowered through knowledge, um, which we try to kind of focus on. And yeah, and, and women are the biggest savers on this continent, you know, so it's, uh, I think, whoever before someone else comes and snatch the money. <laughs> exactly. Try to avoid that. You know exactly. I mean? so, yeah. But I wonder, like, uh, I don't know for you. No, I know Yamachoma is a serious thing in Kenya. Mm. And I know in Burundi, they love to party as well. Mm. And this is, for me, something really that bothers me. And for every Burundian who's listening, they, they know somehow it's true, mm. whether you're in the country or outside the countries, that I, I grew up hearing about people going to the bars, or, you know, like yep. uh, to have a, a brochette and stuff and stuff every day. Yeah. Which means... You do that, plus you have weddings, plus you have parties, family stuff during the week and the, the weekend, sorry. And then literally at the end of the month, I'm like, how do you do it? Like, mm. <laughs> please explain to me. They're like, oh, no, but, you know, I buy this one. And then the next day, the other one buys. I'm like, can't you just stay home and drink water and <laughs> drink milk? Yeah. You know, and it still bothers me until this night, until uh, unless you're, you're like really well off. Yeah. Please do it. But if you don't have enough, I'm like... Is this just stupidity or just plain simple? Yeah, not knowing. I think it's beha It's behavior. It's it's simple oh behavior goodness. because a lot of a lot of like savings or 
the experience people have with money is very personal, right? Like they are, they learn a certain behavior and they keep that behavior going. So even when we started something that we, you know, people would ask us like, who are you competing against? Or what are you, you know, what are you kind of trying to change? And we're trying to change behavior and we're Mm. trying to get people away from wanting that, you know, instant gratification. If I get paid today, I'm going to go spend that money because I deserve it, you know, like that. But I think, and that's where like the education side comes in as well, because actually if you don't spend this money all in one and maybe put it away, then you would have more, you know, like, but people, people don't really think about that. So you really have to, to teach and you have to show them over a prolonged period of time, right? It can't just be a one and done. It has to be a repeated message. And I think... What's really cool, like now in Kenya is, you know, we, we started with this uh, hustle fund or hustler fund. Yep. Um, and a big component yeah. of that is savings. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they how now they're going to kind of push the education side of that or push um, the outreach side of that, because I think loans are well and good. But I think Kenya is very much teetering on the side of people are just taking loans to survive the month. And that's mm. not a good place to be. Mm, okay is it already rolling the the hustler fund yeah it's rolling okay yeah. okay so we should be seeing something okay that's nice so i'll take you then to the next uh, portion of your work where are you planning to go next because maybe people are listening and they're like oh my goodness we need this we need this in our country are you already yeah eyeing rwanda burundi burundi i think sometimes <laughs> but tanzania yeah, south sudan we're definitely we're definitely looking at, at different markets. We haven't committed mm-hmm. to anything yet. We still feel like we have a little more kind of deepening that we want to do in this market. Okay. So we're committed to that. But as soon as we decide, we will definitely let you know. <laughs> Which means soon. I'm just teasing. <laughs> and how about raising? Are you still raising or are you just cool with what you have? Are you thinking yeah. about? Okay. We're okay for now. We okay. had raised around um last year so Mm -hmm. we're we're in a good we actually were very lucky to have closed our round when we did before things changed um so yeah right now we're just focused on on building and how about hiring are you hiring or you just full stack now i know what it is and yeah (laughs) uh, those are like gems in the like everybody's texting me is like alex do you have any full stack i'm like what is that and then i have to learn so (laughs) yeah um we're always looking for for good talent so young people who are looking to learn and to like grow their career but we don't have open vacancies right now but uh, if you keep following we might Mm, which means there will be openings soon, my friends. Keep up, keep <laughs> up. Huh? So people will be stalking you on a social media account. So that's it. Um, so thanks again, because I really wanted to, to to know about Koa, not only because it's in Kenya, because it's fun and it's about money, but because it's one of those things really that maybe in the future, if you don't teach people how to use money, and when you see how maybe in America people are using the loans and the credit cards it's a, it's a mess let's be serious and then we have a a whole sector maybe like a middle class that's growing in africa you don't want them to do the same mistakes exactly. basically You're like oh teach yourself and teach your kids so i'll actually really recommend a book that's called the psychology of money I can't remember the author and that one is like <clears throat> so if you're doing that to really change the behavior of Kenyans, Congolese, you know, 
Senegalese. I mean, we have at least a hundred year old company with Koa. So we're wishing you the best. Thank you so much. Uh, but what can we wish for you, not only as your company, but for you as in 2023, but like for the next five years, if I, I come to Nairobi and I say, hey, show me the office because I love the background. Show me the new offices, build something really nice. And uh, <laughs> what do you envision? Yeah, I mean, in five years, we hope to be just a household name here, really supporting, you know, really supporting people with their financial future, not just focusing on individuals, but also focusing on small businesses. And hopefully by then we would be in a few other countries as well. So that's really the hope for us. Come on, come (laughs) on. I can tell. I can tell. If you try with Burundi, I'll welcome you there at the airport. I'm (laughs) just saying. (laughs) Because they need to learn. Mm. Burundians, you need to learn. (laughs) Anyway, wishing you a really great uh, weekend and thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.